If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. next game is going to be initiated with expertise, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to what the heck is the Hook and Chance podcast doing now? And how can you run an efficient and satisfying session zero? And what does it look like to run a session zero that results in a heroic dungeon rescue adventure? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. Welcome to season one, episode one, the first first of its kind <laughs> but we're 162 episodes in and you're shit at math actually i did all right in math travis we're starting fresh we're taking that catalog of 162 and putting it in a big old pile and saying you go over there and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna try to do this well now. get in that room and stay there <laughs> yeah we're not gonna look in there anymore no, there's good stuff there, but we're trying some new things. We're going to structure it a little bit differently. Well, and like any good GM does, we took some time to sit and reflect on what we were doing well, maybe what we could improve on, and the work that we're producing, and we're seeing what more we can get from it. And if you're a regular listener and you're returning to us after we've taken that little think break, thank you very much for your patience, and we hope you're excited about what we've come up with. So from an episode-to-episode basis, it won't sound all that different than what you're used to. Of course, you probably maybe noticed a new intro and a new some new segment audio, which is kind of cool. We've been working on that. Yep, Travis has been trying to become a bit of an audio engineer. Neither of us having any experience in anything that we do makes it difficult, but we learn the hard way. Imagine a monkey playing with like a My Little Scientist set for kids. <laughs> It kind of looks like that, like it's an approximate, but... Yeah, sounds like us. So in each episode, we're going to talk about a piece of inspiration that's going to be from science, history, or pop culture, and then we're going to apply that to one of the many systems we've created over the last few years. And so throughout a season, we'll build, you know, a, a roguish character or an interesting location for a boss battle. We'll construct a story or build a new monster or a new culture maybe a magic item. But here's the change. Over the course of a season, it's all going to feed into itself and create a unique story arc for players. Meaning if you listen to the show for inspiration or ideas, great, it'll probably seem very, very similar. But now it's all building towards something greater, something grander. And if you're a patron of the show, you'll gain access to the working document that will eventually be a complete rough adventure so after each episode you'll be able to check in there and see what we've created from the episode tangible things from all of our nonsense that we <laughs> jabber on about how novel an idea is that but who knows it actually might mean that we eventually publish some of those great arcs you know the ones that are the most popular but we probably shouldn't get ahead of ourselves let's take it one episode at a time and this episode is about the session zero the very beginning of any gaming adventure. So I would say that Jordan and I are have set our brand as kind of story first 
GMs. Stories are central to the players first and their characters. I'd hope you would say that because we've kind of branded this entire podcast around it. (laughs) We would be on a very different page if that weren't the case. We've been working on a session zero structure that's designed to make session zeros way easier. And it's because session zeros are so friggin' important. They are the literal foundations of an entire campaign. And if they're not done right, you kind of can't go back and redo them. I, I mean, you can, but it's not the same. Yeah, you can try to shove some extra stability into that foundation, but your castle's probably looking a little crooked. The Session Zero system starts with an anonymous pre-Session Zero survey, and it gathers topics like content and safety and genre and tone and all the game system stuff all predetermined. So really, you can then just recap with the players what they all chose. Yeah, walking in with this under your belt is so much better than walking in cold. Like you don't know anything at the beginning of the Session Zero unless you've done this, and it really helps you to kind of get what the players want in your mind ahead of time to kind of process it. We also personally love doing an anonymous survey because it means that you're getting more honest truths from what the players enjoy outside of the environment where, it, you know, a session zero is meant to be collaborative. But sometimes when you're talking about stuff like tone and what interests people, the group collective can kind of influence that sometimes positively and other times negatively and especially when it comes to some of the safety tools doing those in the anonymous survey is really great because then people might not feel that pressure to not mention what's going to make them uncomfortable in the game in person all this to say that you can start with your session zero with a great step forward something uh, like a solid idea of what it is that you think the players can kind of grab onto, and then you can facilitate that session zero really, really well, because then it goes into stuff like collective world building and region building. And a really fun first step here is to ask for inspiration from your players, whatever that means, whether it's a, you know, a line from a movie, a character, a place from a book, like whatever is inspiring to them, throw it in the pile and mix it up and see what comes out. This means that you end up with a collaboratively built place that the players actually want to play in and one that they're also already familiar with because they helped build it. And we have prompts in there that make it so that the world building isn't super detailed, just gives you those starting points that can be fleshed out as you progress through the world. You're not going to spend an hour on world building. Then that is followed by interconnected character building. Now this is the core. This is everything you really need to start to build a story in that player's first, character's first kind of storytelling method. And I want to say that the reason that we do world building first is because the characters are much more likely to feel like they belong in the world when they're built after it. Right. So in this stage, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to facilitate the players building characters specifically with traits, arcs, and a theme to either build from scratch from or to look for those in a pre-written module, which means you just make a couple of tweaks and now all of a sudden a pre-written module feels like it's dedicated to the players. Yeah, because like I have spent, I don't know how many nights 
trying to sift out what matters from a character's backstory, which then I try to I seed in 15 sessions later and the player doesn't even recognize their long lost uncle Jeremiah that they mourned for weeks in their backstory. <laughs> and like, I have to point it out. Hey, remember you, you made this guy and this was supposed to be a moment. <laughs> yeah. When that moment falls flat. And then finally the social contract. So players determine some of the boundaries of how they're going to work together as a group. And we have kind of a specific way we like to do it where it's, it's a very collaborative experience to come up with those boundaries. We avoid house rules because as the GM, when you are the one bringing rules to the table, that kind of turns you into the sheriff of those rules. And it's just an uncomfortable experience when everybody keeps looking to me for the answer to a social faux pas. I'm just trying to run in the game. I've got all this story in my head. I don't have the bandwidth to handle your little feud that's happening over there. <laughs> well... And when the entire group comes up with when we're meeting, what we're playing, who's bringing what, and it's not being laid down by the GM, then the rest of the group holds each other accountable. And that, like you said, George, that doesn't force the GM into the endless role of the judge, jury, and executioner <laughs> of <laughs> your your home game where everyone's supposed to be having a good time. Yeah, it eventually feels like you're the only like adult in the room or the only parent <laughs> sometimes because everyone just kind of sits back and says, you got all this. Yeah. I'm just here to enjoy your <laughs> your thing. Hopefully now you can see why we feel the session zero is so critically important because it sets the tone for literally everything from characters to story to world to even how the group dynamics are going to play out at the table. So in this grand adventure that we're going to end up building, this episode is going to be a session zero. We're going to do it. And we we have done a little bit of it and we'll explain what we mean by that. What we did is we actually turned to our wonderful patrons to help play the role of the players in this session zero which means talking about tone and inspiration and all of these steps that we just talked about uh but in this case we're going to derive some inspiration from our session zero by the way of pop culture this is the extra dimensional gateway where strange yet familiar alternate realities can be summoned forth when help is needed. So the three points of inspiration that we came up with in our session zero where we were joined by patrons Leprechaun and Dangerous Marmalade, the first one was our players, in air quotes, I'm doing air quotes, our players were interested in a classic abandoned dungeon escape. Uh, similar to like Indiana Jones and the Goonies. This would be most applicable to like the core of D&D and other role-playing games where it's like just a good old-fashioned dungeon crawl with some traps and some crazy shit. Yeah. And we also talked about having some element of a living weapon or MacGuffin, the young character that's going through a coming-of-age story, growing into their power, and their power is unpredictable and wild and chaotic and kind of scary. I'm digging it. And number three was we wanted a creature stalking in the darkness for a bit of a, that like Balrog, I don't know, uh, alien 
you know, something something threatening so that we can work in action, horror and chase vibes like just kind of that tension. We need some of that tension in our dungeon escape. Something's trapped in here with us <laughs> and it's probably got acid blood and terrible fangs. Yeah, I mean, they, they've always got terrible fangs. Yeah. I think the acid blood is trademarked, though. Oh, r- really? No. <laughs> I'll have acid blood if I want to. <laughs> so what are some of the common recognizable tropes that we can borrow and manipulate from each one? That For that Indiana Jones, Goonies kind of dungeon escape. Yeah, the fun classic adventuring through somewhere you don't know movie style. Well, I think one of the first ones, like both the Indiana Jones and Goonies movie, they're serious. You know, you've got kids going missing in an underground (laughs) labyrinth, and then you've got Indiana Jones literally fighting to stop the Nazis. Like, it's serious, but it's somehow still humorous and kind of lighthearted in its tone. Right. If we're going to kind of capture that feeling, then we're going to really have to focus on bringing out some of the humorous and lighthearted tones in otherwise serious content. Which comes a lot from the players, so it's good to get them on board at this stage to say, like, this is the vibe we all want, right? Just to make sure you don't have that one that one dark and brooding player that's getting <laughs> furious at the lighthearted tone everyone else is trying to set. Right, right. Like we said, this doesn't mean as a GM that we can't necessarily lean into some dark content it just means we have to find the lighthearted in it. Like Temple of Doom had flaming hearts getting ripped out of chess for fuck's sake. But it also had cheery children. <laughs> right? <laughs> it had a plucky sidekick. Yeah. From the serious parts of those movies, we want some suspense and tension, but not so much that it becomes a thriller. Like there's not 10 minute scenes of, of just brooding unease. Right. I mean, for me... I already start to look at like leaning hard into stuff that seems intense, but then is okay even if we roll low. Like we want players to get to the end. This is not going to be a bodies aren't going to be hitting the floor every <laughs> every encounter. Right, right. This is where we can have players like hanging off of edges of cliffs, and the tension is real. But even if the players fail, they fall into a body of water. You know, like the kid always, there's always that scene where it's like, ah, and then, oh no, they fell down a huge, ho- oh, I heard a splash. <laughs> and it's they're fine. Shifting your thoughts of from life and death stakes to like thinking about the resources in whatever game you're playing and how to uh, slowly chip away at those with each one of those failures. Right, right. I think a chase scene is definite. We got to have a chase scene in there somewhere. Got to have three or four. Maybe a dozen chase scenes. So many chase scenes. Boulders. Groups of enemies. (laughs) All right. Dial it back a little bit. We could be having a lot of those kind of environmental chase scenes where in order to escape or outrun, there's some checks. We're trying to knock things in the path of whatever's chasing us. That kind of thing. Like using the environment rather than, say, abilities all the time. I think a way to kind of take a shortcut to this is... Having an environment that's already in a state of decay. Right. Then you're, you've always got that to pull on. Yeah. Anything can collapse at any time. And the Goonies was really all about making quick decisions through dangerous traps, like while they were being pursued. So I really like that element of having something pursuing our group 
and not allowing them to slow down. Like it forces the quick decisions. Yeah, having that uh, ticking clock. There's another group that's after you or something like that. In that movie, it was it was the gang of Italian oh, chefs. Yeah, I don't we're remember. Not... <laughs> what? When was the last time you saw the Goonies? <laughs> not recently enough. Okay. So then the last point that I think that we can really lean on is the classic heroes and villains. Like, this is something that the Goonies and Indiana Jones had in common, where it was very clear this was not a moral gray area kind of story. It was the bad guys are bad because obviously they're bad. (laughs) Because they're forcing children to do labor in mines. Not (laughs) a lot of ways that... (laughs) That can be seen through a positive lens. (laughs) Right. When Indy has to like go and get the stones back and you're like, "Eh, I mean, does he have to get the stones? How important are the stones? Oh, no, wait, they've they've stolen everyone's children. (laughs) Holy fuck. That's there's no other way you can cut that one. That's evil. Yeah. And I think something that comes into that uh, theme is giving individuals chances to do really dumb slash really brave stuff to save the rest of the group. And again, that doesn't have to be life or death, but giving those individual character moments could be a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Now, in the session zero, we were talking about things like escorting a child to a destination so that it is that like, it is the MacGuffin that you need to protect the MacGuffin, you need to grab the MacGuffin and and move it to a place, but it's not a scroll It's a person with thoughts and feelings and priorities. Yeah, it adds a lot more complexity to the situation. And I mean, Goonies and Indiana Jones in different ways, but they both have a lot of the kid coming to age in there. Right. I mean, Short Round in Temple of Doom started as, well, I guess he started as pretty competent. Like he was driving that car in the first (laughs) chase scene. I was going to say, by the end, he's like karate kicking people in the faces. True. Uh, Maybe, I guess you're right. He's not the best example of a character arc, but the same actor's character, Data, and all the other kids from the Goonies, they all have their maturity. And leaning into the MacGuffin side, we've got Eleven from like Stranger Things, who is a really great example of both a MacGuffin. The story can't be completed without Eleven. She's the key to stopping everything, but also she's a person and she's got things to do. Boys to, (laughs) I don't know. Emotions she's dealing with, things that everyone else has to go through, even while they have incredible cosmic power. Yeah, so that feels really fun. And also we can lean into some wild magic elements and introduce even more chaos in a dungeon-like setting with those kind of powers. And we're going to borrow some things specifically from that. Like, there's no shame in taking those little details and tropes and using them in your game. Like, maybe we'll work in some exhaustion after the kid uses their power, even nosebleeds. Right. Like, there's a bunch of little things that we can borrow throughout, for sure. And inspiration number three, we've got monsters stalking in the darkness. Minds of Moria vibes with the goblins and the Balrog like running through the darkness. This gives us some serious tension and I love it. I'm super here for it. I mean, this this was our bread and butter for a while is designing <laughs> better monster encounters. But yeah, so we want the pacing of this adventure 
to swing between that frantic action, which is mostly what we've been talking about so far, and then dipping into the creeping horror where something is there and it's terrible. We'll need to build up to the horror reveal throughout the adventure. We're going to plot out where we can build the tension and and how we can keep the monster in the dark until the very end when we want to release it all. We're going to figure out what kind of you know minions that that head monster is going to have to have the party encounter and you know much like alien every time the crew encounters a smaller version of that alien it just makes them more scared of the main one the big (laughs) one that's coming right right one of the other things that kind of jumps to mind for me grand locations one of the interesting things that i learned about frank lloyd wright the architect was that he was really famous for compression and then expansion. And it was all, apparently, a lot of his builds were all about, like, pushing you into really, really tight spaces so that when you entered a grand space, it was really grand. And that makes me wonder, can we lean into that? Can we borrow some Frank Lloyd Wright? Oh, totally. It's So you're saying it's all about the contrast. Right. So we need mines, and then we need, like the Mines of Moria, We need some huge spaces with big old columns and, yeah, just scale. Have them crawl through the constricting tunnels, which always gives me the heebie-jeebies, like caving and actually contorting yourself to fit through and then opening up into that (laughs) ancient mega chapel deep underground or something like that. Right, yeah, we can definitely borrow some of that. So let's start to build this all out. Now that we've got our session zero, we've got some tone, we've got some inspiration, let's actually put this into practice and start building out what this could look like. Welcome to the First Step Tavern, a place where legendary adventures can't help but begin. There's three levels to world building, depending on how big of a game you're going to play, you know, what the players are interested in collaborating on. Got world, continent, and community, just to give you an idea. But since we want this adventure to be as agnostic as possible, and for you to be able to put it in whatever world, we really just want to focus in on the local area. Right, so from the community scale, we can look at some of these questions to ask to help us build the world. The first question, what is this place known for? Well, it's probably got to be a temple because, you know, Indiana Jones has got those temple vibes. Right. Really easy to do some, you know, good versus evil stuff. Well, nothing says good versus evil more than having like the temple that heals and supports an entire local area falling on hard times. And specifically... We have to make sure that it is apparent that it is being done intentionally. So building off of your idea for a temple, what if that temple was closed for the first time in forever and it was like sealed off from the outside world, forcing the players to try to release the doors from the inside by going through an ancient tunnel system? Yeah, that's definitely got the, you know, the starting point, the idea to kick off an adventure so yeah like the temple is a really nice prosperous kind of place you know i think maybe uh the temple has always been taken care of 
by a group of like devout monks. And that I guess that kind of leads into our next question, which is what is the culture in this place? Longtime caretakers of an ancient temple that fuels the local area and makes sure that crops grow. And I mean, hell, we could really lean into that good versus evil if the ancient waters surrounding the temple are a known place for healing. So if you have an ailment, you go, you bathe in the water, and you come out feeling healed, if not refreshed. I'd say maybe that healing water also helps the land prosper, which means it's a very resource-rich area, which means that crime is probably going to be really low. Like, nobody's fighting over resources. The temple is really disciplined and is keeping things on track. Right. So you come into this community, and there's really not much to worry about. But recently, things have started to take a turn because somebody has locked the doors of the temple, and now things aren't growing quite as well, and people aren't getting healed from the waters or something like that. Right. Corrupting that source. Very clearly, we got to stop this. Like, it has (laughs) to end. Yeah. So, yeah, we got culture. So keepers of the temple, what else is around there? I mean, obviously, you said prosperous, like a town is going to spring up around a place like this just because, I mean, obviously. Well, yeah. So what if there's secondary culture? You've got that primary culture that's all proper, disciplined, very spiritual. And the secondary culture came in to kind of support the tourism industry that happens when everybody hears about these healing waters. Right. Because we need something to kind of contrast that like really devout really straight laced kind of like we are serious all the time and yeah i can't i can't think of anything that fits our theme better like the goonies than like the surf town yeah (laughs) it's it's like the you know the california town that every 80s movie kid gets like moved to oh we came (laughs) from new york and now i'm stuck in california with no friends Everybody's so chill and cool here. <laughs> yeah, they're not, clearly. <laughs> but also, it's that like lighthearted theme that we were talking about. Like, if the, if the temple folk are going to be super serious, then we need to lighten it up. I mean, we almost have a dynamic there that we could play off of for our living weapon trope. The kid, the MacGuffin, to say that the kid has been growing up inside the temple and being taught to take everything super serious but all they want is to chill with the <laughs> surf bums outside. I don't, I don't know. Do they surf the living waters? Oh, yeah. There's a wave pool. <laughs> the monks are just trying to, to be monks, and they've got, like, kids on jet skis out in the... <laughs> playing around in the living waters. Playing their, their modern music. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is going way off the rails, but I'm digging it. But that that core conflict, though, just to be clear again, is it's not about the the good versus evil. Like the the surfer town vibes aren't evil. They're still about the truth. They're still about the spiritualism, but they're just really not disciplined. Right. They're just the party town. Yeah. I mean, they take their place seriously. They know where they live. They live in a place where food is plentiful yeah. and nobody's ever ill because of the living water. So they respect it. Yeah. yeah. We could probably dial the, the party town <laughs> back a little uh, touch. They're not like throwing beer cans at the temple. <laughs> is what I'm saying, I guess. Uh, well, 
yeah, we got stuff to work with here. We've got these daily markets. We've got a little bit of dynamism even still with the the MacGuffin character. I mean, we're going to have to get into building a story out, but I guess the world is enough right now. We'll look at maybe three other important characters in this place. Well, we're going to need our child power source, child MacGuffin. Yeah. So leaning into like somewhere between short round from Indiana Jones and 11 from Stranger Things. I don't know. Who is the the MacGuffin kid from the Goonies? I guess they were all just kind of equal share in the spotlight. (laughs) All right. Never mind. I mean, there is even the opportunity. And I don't know how you feel about DMPCs, but I could see an opportunity to like use this character as a way to get in there with the players a little bit. Well, I think that there's a lot of potential in what you can do to bounce off the players, but I I really don't like the term DMPC because to me, it just kind of suggests that a GM should be thinking like a player. And I think some GMs fall into that trap, but this character is supposed to be a story aid to the GM, not a way for them to also play the game and start looking at their character options and see how they can level up and what powers that they can exhibit. Right, this is not meant to take attention away from the players, but more as a way for the players to engage with the story. So we could have this character kind of glom on to one of the player characters, the one that kind of elicits maybe what they're going through the most. So we've got this character that kind of wishes that they weren't born a monk or into this monkish-like group. They don't like all the responsibility, but they're learning that they also have power. You know, we can play a lot with that and we can have that character kind of glom on to whichever player character it seems like they have the most in common with. Well, and I I don't think you even need to limit it to one player character because there's the potential for a lot of the characters' personalities to come out as they try to mentor this NPC. Right. And they can, you know... It'd be really fun to kind of swap between them with that NPC and be like, what do you think about this, Mentor B? Right. Using it as a way to instigate really great role play at the table without even needing to have a character like deeply entrenched within the party, as you said, like a DMPC. Well, that's, yeah, that's going to be the character that we focus on the most when we build them out. But we'll probably also need a grandmaster caretaker or somebody that you know is in charge of this temple side of things right we're really leaning into the 80s movies we need a mr miyagi (laughs) from the karate kid yeah well this would be that character that would potentially be a lot more serious that might actually charge the party with carrying out this task yeah they're going to represent the order that the temple does in the town and since everything's about contrasting I guess that means we need someone to represent chaos. Absolutely. You need the wise beach bum washout that (laughs) unofficially represents the other side. I don't know why, but I'm thinking like the image that comes to my mind is the Donkey Kong country game. The the dude that did the surf. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he got you from point A to point B. And I know he's not a fleshed out character, but I just can't stop <laughs> picturing him. What was that character's name? I forget for the life of me. Oh, Donkey Kong Country, we miss you. Always a source of inspiration. Old and jovial and friendly. I'm seeing like a playfully antagonistic relationship between this character and the Grandmaster. 
Well, if we are contrasting, we can put them right in the middle. Like you said, kind of not old, but maybe like middle-aged and still still free and easy, closer in age and closer in somewhat a uh, responsible role as the grandmaster, but just like chill. Yeah. <laughs> this person represents who the kid could be. Right. The two paths. The two paths. Good. So, shit. We're pretty close. We've got some tone. We've got characters. We've got a town. We've got a location. Now, I think all we need is to name it. Well, so what about like Divine Root? Hmm. Interesting. I like that. Got the kind of holy side of it. And you got the fact that it's based around the nature and the waters and that that's the root of the entire community. Ooh. But we could also allude to the root being the interweaving twisted tunnels underneath the temple. Yeah. The temple's roots. Yeah. That nobody knows about. They go deep. Yeah. And that's where we're going to send our players to try and survive the trials and the dangers. That's it. It could be a trial. <laughs> it could be some kind of test of worthiness to be the next grand master for the child. We're on a roll. Well, I think we have a lot more work to do to build the rest of this whole story out. And I think that's probably what we'll need to do next is talk about some of the characters and build out some opposition. Maybe we'll dive into story. Who knows? You'll have to <laughs> tune in to the next episode. But before we get too crazy with the next episode, the next step we're going to take in this one is to create the player characters because that's everything that we're going to pull from for all of those future plans right. is going to be from the player characters. Right. I just about stumbled on my <laughs> own point. You need characters, yeah. damn it. <laughs> you can't just get excited about being the DM and tell your own story. Uh, I fall into that trap every time. <laughs> well, luckily, we did discuss characters a little bit with our wonderful Leprechaun and Dangerous Marmalade who joined that session zero. So we have some direction on some characters. And we just wanted to start with the basics because we do want to hopefully get your help in fleshing these characters out all the way. But for the purposes of plotting the story and including some of these details in our planning, we just need a few crucial points. So in the session zero, all we needed from our players was three things. We need that theme. What is the overall theme of the character? Is it devotion? Is it adventure? Is it whatever that theme is? Then we need their traits. So what kind of traits are they going to role play by? And this is one of our favorite things for characters. We never make characters without traits anymore. It's core to our character building system, which you can find on our website. It is way easier to role play a trade out. So this uh, examples like this would be fanciful or highfalutin. And then the third one is an arc. So we need to know what the player hopes for their character. And this, you know, arcs can either arc up or they can arc down depending on their choices. It doesn't mean that we've prescribed their entire storyline. It just means that we want to know whether the player is seeking redemption or maybe they're trying to justify something that they've done in their past. 
we really think of an arc as just a, a general direction that they could go in. It's not like we're not locking anything down here. We're just sparking ideas. And like we said in the beginning, all of these are really just to find elements within our story that the players might enjoy role-playing with. So the first character we collectively named Eden, who is optimistic, faithful, altruistic, and their negative trait, which, by the way, negative trait is a huge one because this lets you as the GM torment that character in a good way, in a way that helps them role play and grow and all the things that we want a character to do. Well, it's the only place that growth really comes from. Yeah. Because players will often want to play the hero. And this is one where we kind of put our foot down and say, no, really, like, please, player, give yourself a negative trait because that makes your character interesting, dynamic, and it gives me something to fucking work with. <laughs> and, I mean, it's the classic struggle between Superman and Batman. Superman is flawless. Batman is full of flaws. It Which one's more interesting? Right. Like, it doesn't mean that you can't work with that. It doesn't mean you can't tell a story with somebody that has no flaws, but it sure is a hell of a lot harder. Yeah. Anyways, back to Eden. Eden's negative trait is naivete. So we're really kind of seeing this character as the pure-hearted vanquisher of evils, the innocent frontliner, the, like, just hopeful and happy and can do. Yeah. I'm seeing this character as a as a lot of fun to play because you can <laughs> annoy almost anyone you want to. So I think a potential character arc for this character is going to be one of maturing because you've got that naivety, which is going to be challenged by the evils of this adventure the entire time. Right. Like they're going to be faced up against some stuff that they've never seen this kind of darkness before. And it's probably going to to make them think about that <laughs> endlessly hopeful energy they've got. Right. And they can struggle with it and they can even persevere and maintain their hopefulness throughout the, like that becomes the struggle. Character two is Weld. Weld is right up your alley, Travis. They're the <laughs> technician, the realist. They're disciplined, methodical, and arrogant. How dare you? <laughs> I wasn't saying you match all of these yeah, I'm yeah. Saying, I'm not you saying this implied... is you. You like to play this kind of character, right. Travis. Yeah. There's a picture I can see right now behind you of your character who <laughs> is a pirate Batman. All right. <laughs> All right. Fine. Well, that character is the practical problem solver, the the rogue sage, the just you know, pretty cool, pretty tortured, pretty. Everyone makes this character in every group yeah. since the beginning of Tabletop. So we might as well plan to have a character <laughs> like this in our story. But I just like that kind of mindset of, you know, I've got a system for everything because I've suffered and I know what the right way to do stuff is. So don't, yeah. don't come at me with your dumb ideas. Right. And so the theme and kind of character arc for this could be that redemption. They're trying to redeem themselves from something that they did that is haunting them from their past. Don't ask me about it. <laughs> Until we get into a good situation to ask me about it, because, hey, hey, players out there, don't keep secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and then the third character to balance the perfect trio out is Squib. 
who's the risk-taking, daring, intuitive, hot-headed character that perfectly clashes with everything that Weld represents. They stumble their way into danger, they go by the seat of their pants, and they do whatever feels right in the moment. Act first, think later, wild card. Yeah. And guaranteed you got one of these in your party as well. (laughs) The key to playing one of these is to not do your thing completely independent of all the plans that the rest of the party has put together. Right. Don't be a dick. So this feels like a maturity arc. Learning to work better in a group. Learning to take everyone else into account before you do something batshit. And I like this character kind of maybe magic is bubbling within them as well. And that's where their powers are coming from. So it's a little bit like that child that they're traveling with. Cool. They're kind of having a a similar experience in a way. Right. Maybe is like trying to hide it because they don't want to be seen like that. (laughs) I'm really digging it. And it it feels like almost that that amount of power they've learned to control. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a great adventurer. So... Maybe this theme is more about an abuse of power. Like they wield it like it's nothing and they just don't really appreciate it for how important it really is. Yeah. And what kind of responsibility they have with it. Now, granted, we've made these characters. We've tried to make them as standard character tropes to align with characters that you might have in your party as best as humanly possible. But keep in mind that if you are adapting anything, that you just need to look at some of these basic traits and arcs and themes in order to make these quick adjustments for your story or your campaign. And this is exactly what we do whenever we crack open a big, brand new, uh, pre-written adventure is we start to look for where can we start to use some of our character themes, what can we highlight within the story that plays to those. A bit of an example for you. I ran Waterdeep Dragon Heist for D&D. Because I didn't do a really good session zero, I ended up with a party of characters that had no interest in money or gold. <laughs> Which You mean the Dragon Heist part? The, yeah. The, the, where you're looking for a huge hoard of treasure? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so everyone built characters. Like some of the characters literally didn't have a concept of money. <laughs> And so I had to adapt the entire adventure to not focus on the focus of the adventure. But if I had done this more intentionally, I could have A, avoided that completely, or B, at least known where to tweak the story where I needed it. Right. So that all to say that session zeros are hella important, and there will be some session zero help that you can find on our website under the resources section. We are currently working on and building out a bit more of a pre-session zero survey along with a session zero guide that then you can adapt and delete or add whatever you want to suit you and your party's needs. Because really it is going to be, you know, unique to you. Every part of the GMing experience is, and this is included. Well, I'm really excited for this whole season. I'm stoked for what we're going to end up making. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Very curious to see what new ideas come from doing things this way and how, I don't know, just rich this entire adventure is going to be after we do episode after episode about it. Well, and maybe by way of a buildup, a preview of what's to come. The door. It stands defiant. 
It looms stoically. After challenges that brought you to the edge of your mental and physical limits, this herald of victory proves your journey's worth. It beckons any soul brave enough to claim the key that waits beyond its grand arched threshold. It conjures the history of its creation, showcasing the marvelous design of the skilled and caring hands that left it here. Is it another test? Does its beauty disguise vicious traps or simply invite passage? Your companion and guide through this ancient place, the sole survivor of her order, just might know. But now she stands in silent bewilderment that she should get to witness this sacred place. Though only a child, she has braved the dangers that brought you here because there was no other choice. She is their last hope. You, her escort and protector. She approaches the door. Well, I hope that jacked you up because I'm excited. Open that door! That's the uh, very beginning, maybe the opening monologue to our campaign. <laughs> Exciting. It'll probably, you know, that's just what we got cooking so far. It's going to change. It's going to get more rich with details and more engrossing as we flesh this whole concept out. But we hope that hooked you. And we'll see you back for the rest of this season. The episodes where we flesh the rest of that out one at a time. We'll tackle every single element of what a GM would have to do to plot out an entire campaign from start to to finish and you'll get to come along on that journey with us so we are really really excited and if your brain is kind of uh, vibrating with ideas and you want to let us know please look for opportunities to engage in this process with us because we're going to be asking for your help we want the ideas that you can bring to this experience as well and the best place to do that is on our discord and as a reminder by the end of this whole thing our Patrons will get access to the entirety of the written version of this campaign as we build it out. And there's two new lucky people that will be getting access to this. Welcome to new patrons, Adam F. and David P. You got in just in time for our first season to start. And also thanks to Alex R., Steve A., Sigma, Kaleidoscope, Skylar E., Deadman, Ninja Ducky, Sue Art, Blackthorn, First Law, Peacock Dreams, DM Thunderbum, Marley R., Time Warp, Dangerous Marmalade, Zach G., No Ma'am, Michelle T., Adlerius, Chris F., The Senate, Lucas D., Lila G., The GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W., DM Natsky, Heavy Arms, Leprechaun, and Will HP. Thank you all for your support in this next season and all of the engagement that we've been getting on our discord talking about how to build this out into something truly epic as always thanks to tabletop audio for all of these sound effects you heard in this episode for any resources we mentioned you can find them for free at our website hookandchance.com if this has helped you at all with your session zeros and you think it could help someone else please share this episode or consider leaving a review this is the year of growth we need you also, you can join that awesome community of players and DMs on our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and endanger children games. for maximum drama. Jesus Christ. Is that the message? Nope. <laughs>